friends, good morning and a warm welcome to McLean Presbyterian here in the sanctuary in our fellowship hall and even worshiping with us online. I, I'm glad to be here with you all this morning and I, I hope and pray that we'll all leave saying, man, it was, it was good for us to be together this morning. We turn now to the Gospel of Matthew for our, our scripture reading. Matthew chapter 6, as we begin a three-week series in this chapter, we're going to work our way through verses 1 through 18 of this chapter over the next few weeks. But this morning, we're going to read Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 19 through 21. If you want to pull out one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find this on page 811. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward." But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before reflecting on his word together, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, the psalmist David writes about the beauty of your word. He calls your laws perfect, your testimonies sure, your precepts right, your commandments pure, fear of you being clean, your, your rules are, are true, uh, exalted language, Lord, that teaches us, reminds us that there is no better life than a life lived in conformity with your good and perfect will for us. And yet, Lord, um, I know for myself and I think for many of us, we struggle to believe that on a day-to-day basis. We get caught up in going our own way instead of going your way. So, Lord, would you show us in this passage this morning the gospel, the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, how we've been saved from all our sins, from all our failures, from all our brokenness, and how we've been saved to such a beautiful extent that we're now able even to live new lives as we follow you, lives that are full of joy. So, um, be with us and... (laughs) Lord, would the bark of your spirit come and touch our hearts so that we would really believe these things are true. Now the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Secrets. That is our sermon series for the next three weeks. Secrets. Postsecret.com is the most visited advertisement-free website in the world. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a community art project where people mail in secrets anonymously on a postcard. And then every week, a selection of these secrets are, are posted for all of the community to see. 
these anonymous secrets, while some of them are, are sad. The woman who writes, my biggest fear is that my daughter will inherit my eating disorder. Some of them are silly, like the Starbucks barista who said, I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. <laughs> Some of them, though, are, are shocking. My son, my son has imaginary older siblings, a boy and a girl. Sometimes I think they are ghosts from my two abortions. And I don't know if they are here to haunt me or to tell me that they are okay. Mailing in secrets anonymously on a postcard. Do you have any secrets? What might you mail in? You know, of course, generally in the Christian life, secrets are to be avoided. The Christian life is one of vulnerability. It's one of transparency. It's one of freedom and, and openness. The gospel frees us to be ourselves. The gospel frees us to live without pretending. A beautiful freedom that we have in Christ. But in this text, we're told that sometimes secrets have their place. Look at, look at verse 1. Sometimes secrets have their place. Jesus says, beware of practicing what? Your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Fascinating, isn't it? We're not told to keep our failures hidden. We're not called to keep our brokenness hidden. Though all of us have an inclination toward that, though all of us find it easy and perhaps preferable to not let other people see just how damaged we are. No, no, we're not called to do that. We're called to bring those things into the light. But we are called to keep our righteousness hidden. Those things that we would actually prefer everybody else knew about. Jesus says, no, some of these things, some of these things are to be practiced in secret. In secret, And he gives us three examples. Verse 1, he lays out the principle, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And then look with me, underline verse 2, he gives us the example, thus, when you give to the needy. Verse 5, and when you pray. Then verse 16, and when you fast. This is Jesus preaching a three-point sermon. Don't do your your act of righteousness in front of people. Here's three applications. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Do these things in secret. What's What's this secrecy all about? What are we to make of these secret things? We're going to take the next three weeks to look at each of them that we might need the gospel into those private secret areas of our lives. And we're going to start this week by looking at our first secret, which is the secret of generosity, the secret of giving. We had to keep this a secret, that this was the first sermon, otherwise no one would come, because no one comes to sermons on giving if they have any opportunity to avoid them. Well, the bad news is we preach on the theme of generosity at least once every single year. Normally, we do it the Sunday nearest April 15. You see what we're doing there? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this, the last couple of years, that's either been Easter or the Sunday after Easter, and that just doesn't seem appropriate. So here we are as we start our summer looking at this theme of, of generosity, and there's freedom in this theme for us. I want us to see two things this morning. First, what it is Jesus tells us to do, and secondly, why he tells us to do it. What does Jesus want us to do, and why does he tell us to do it? First of all, let's look at what we are to do, and the answer very simply is we're to be secretly generous. Be secretly generous. 
if we pull back the curtain of your life, like pull back the curtain of my life just now, so that we see what you're really like, so that we see who you really are, so that we know who you are when no one else is looking, we should discover that you're really generous. I don't... Don't you want that to be true? Isn't there something compelling about the vision of life Jesus offers us here? Yeah, when everybody finds out what you're really like, they're going to find out that you are generous. What a beautiful thing that would be if that were true of us. Let's look at the text and see, and see more. First of all, Jesus says, verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, we're to be secretly generous, and note that Jesus says, when you give to the needy. Provocative, isn't it? That he assumes that we are. When you do, not if you do, but, but when you do. Generosity in the Christian life is assumed. Now, why does Jesus assume that we'll be generous? Can we just, can we just remember who Jesus is? Right? Jesus isn't some TV preacher. Jesus doesn't talk about money in order to manipulate money out of us. Jesus, forget a private jet, Jesus never had anywhere to lay his head. So there's not some secret agenda here. No, why does Jesus assume that we'll be generous? Jesus assumes that we'll be generous because of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know, if you're a Christian this morning, if you describe yourself as a Christian, you know, Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty, might become rich. The very essence of the gospel can be understood in terms of generosity. Jesus, enthroned in the splendor and beauty of heaven, wanting for nothing with lavish riches, chose to give all of that up, to give all of that away, that he might come to earth in a form that we could kill so that instead of our poverty, we might share in his riches, in union with him for all eternity. Jesus understands that that the gospel is a story of generosity, of of God's generosity towards us, and therefore he assumes that we'll be generous because, as one writer says, as thunder follows lightning, generosity follows grace. When, When God has been so generous with us, it's just natural then for us to be generous to other people. People who have been given so much find it natural to give to other people. Now, a couple of quick implications of this assumption, this assumption of generosity. First of all, I want to be really clear. See, friend, if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning, if you wouldn't say that you've received this grace, I want you to understand that I am glad that you are here and not because I want you to give to this church. In fact, I would ask you not to give to God until you have first received from God. God is not looking for you to give him anything. He is looking to give you something. He is looking to give you the freedom of eternal life, a freedom that comes freely by his grace. You don't need to do anything to earn it on the front end, and you never need to do anything to pay him back on at the back end. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, You wouldn't say you follow Jesus. We plead with you to to receive that gift from him. Receive that gift from him. And then, you know, in a few weeks, let's talk about how this applies to you. Secondly, though, second implication of this assumption for for those who are Christians, um, feel the loving step of Jesus on your toes. 
Generosity is an assumed part of the Christian life. This means if you would describe yourself as a Christian, then it should be a part of our lives. So it's not the reserve of like, you know those like super intense Christians, you know? Uh, the ones who make you feel a little uncomfortable, maybe those who are a little like weird, sort of like hardcore group of kind of Navy SEAL type Christians. Um, that's, they're not the only people who should be generous. <laughs> Jesus assumes it will be a part of the life of every single believer. It's, uh, it's not optional. It's not the extra mile. It's not the reserve of the, the hardcore Christians. It's a standard, normal, assumed part of the Christian life. So we're to give in secret, Jesus says. First of all, make sure you're, you're giving. But then secondly, note, he also says, make sure that you're giving in secret. When you give to the needy, now look with me at verse 2. And just, just listen to the greatest preacher who ever preached, okay? Listen to Jesus. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying generosity is assumed, but that doesn't mean it's to be advertised. Generosity is assumed. It should be a part of the Christian life. Yes, make sure it's part of, it, of your life. But, but also, don't go around um, sounding a trumpet before you as you go. Don't go around giving in such a way that everybody else sees how you're giving. Can you imagine, like Jesus says, don't sound a trumpet before you in the synagogue. Can you imagine I gave this way? This morning at church, I said, I'm preaching a sermon on generosity. And what I'd like to do is show you with Monopoly money (laughs) just how generous I'm going to be, okay? But I really want you to know this. So Rob, would you come up? Would you come up here for a second, please? Um, Look, these 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 are hundreds, Okay. We're in the synagogue right now, and I want to make sure you know. So, okay, let's just put like one, <laughs> two, three, four. Mm, it's not quite enough. Like, I feel I'm getting attention, but I haven't sounded a trumpet yet. Vogan, are you here? Come on. I want some New Testament trumpet in this place, because I really want them to know how much I'm giving. You got this? You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Come on. <laughs> No, wait, wait, wait. before you go, do, do you all see how much I just gave? Okay. Did everyone, everyone notice that? Okay. Other duties as, a, as you know, ascribed. Well done, boys. Thank you. Um, think of that picture. That's what Jesus said. If you practice generosity in order to be seen, Jesus says, oh, see what he says there? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. You only gave in order to to get attention from other people. And yeah, you got attention from other people, so you've received your reward in full. You've received your reward in full. Don't give in order to to get attention. Instead, what does he say? Instead, again, think of how great this preaching is. See what he says in verse three? Instead, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, don't overcomplicate these words. Jesus is a preacher, and he's a preacher of the people. When you hear his words, don't get too upset. Like, what exactly does that mean? How can I give in a way that I literally don't know what one hand is doing? That's not what he's saying. It's a great illustration. 
He's saying, be so modest, be so discreet, be so understated and humble in your giving that it's like your left hand and your right hand don't even know what the other one is up to. In other words, don't give in order to build your own reputation. Friends, in the church, don't give for naming rights. Okay? Don't give for naming rights. Don't give for a parking spot. Give out of a glad, humble heart, moved by all that Christ has done and all that Christ has given. Uh, We give uh, not out of pride, but out of humility. We're to be secret in our generosity. So if we pull back the curtain on your life, if we pull back the curtain on my life, everyone should know that we are generous people. But until they do that, no one should know apart from you, your spouse if you have one, and whoever does your taxes. Give, but give in secret. What are we to do? Friends, I want to be a secretly generous people. A secretly generous people. Give in secret. Now, why? Why are we to do this? Why are we to, be, to give and why are we to give in secret? It's interesting that Jesus gives us motivations. Look with me at verse 4. You see it there. Unusual word that sometimes takes a second to get our head around when Jesus says, yeah, do this, be secretly generous, and verse 4, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Ooh. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So first of all, our father, he sees in secret. Ah, pull back the curtain. <laughs> he already has. He knows what we're really like. He knows who we really are. He knows who we are when no one else is watching because he's always watching. So, so God, has, God has pulled back the curtain. God knows what we're really like. But not only does he see in secret, he will what? He will reward you. Reward you. The gospel framework tells us that God doesn't look out over your life in order just to condemn you. Most of us, when we think, oh, God sees everything, that just makes us feel nervous. Well, Sure, there are aspects of our sin, and we've brought those out in our confession even even this morning. But understand that the the God of grace, our Father in heaven, also looks out over the life of his kids so he can catch them doing right. That's, That's good parenting. Catch your children in the act of doing right. And then honor them, celebrate them, reward them as we are told God does here. Now, how does God reward us? That's a fair question, isn't it? How does God reward secret generosity? Well, Jesus, later in this chapter, verses 19 through 21, gives us two beautiful motivations. Motivations, rewards that he gives to our secret generosity. Rewards that money itself could never buy. Look with me at verses 19 through 21. First of all, we read that God rewards generosity with freedom on earth. Freedom on earth earth. Where do we get this from? Well, verse 19, look at it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't do that. Treasures on earth, sorry. Don't do that. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What happens to earthly treasures? What happens to to your possessions? Well, Jesus says, first of all, moth moth and rust destroy. They, They break down. I went to CarMax recently with one of our other assistant pastors, and we both got cars that are new, new to us, right? Um, two months after I got it, I'm sitting at a gas station pumping gas, and this big truck in front of me, doesn't know I'm there, backs right into me as I'm, as I'm putting gas in my car, right? 
Two months, I had this car two months. Um, the other pastor, who, who also got a car, parks it, parks it in, his, in his yard. And um, probably about six weeks after, before someone backed into me, a bunch of limbs from a tree fall and dent the hood. Right? Um, and we sit together and we say, man, what a bummer. <laughs> right? What's, what's that? That's a good reminder. Moth and rust destroy. Stuff's just stuff. Enjoy it for what it is, but, but know that it's, it's all temporary. Toys break on Christmas morning. Uh, cars get dented and backed into. All of our possessions eventually break down. There's nothing in this life that is eternal. And even if you have something that doesn't rust or, or, and be destroyed, look what happens. Thieves break in and steal. You know, at General Assembly, this is like the annual meeting of pastors in our denomination. One of our interns got his laptop stolen. <laughs> now, I'm hoping that wasn't one of the pastors in our denomination that stole it. You know, it's this conference room at a hotel. Like, I'm hoping like it was someone other than an ordained man in the PCA. But who knows, right? Who knows? Um, that's, stuff gets stolen. This is why uh, we have insurance plans and alarm systems and security fences. Because we know you can't trust people. <laughs> Stuff breaks, stuff gets stolen. Whatever you have just gives you things to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. John Jacob Astor, know that name? First US multimillionaire said, I am the most miserable man on earth. Hmm. William Vanderbilt, inherited 100 million, doubled it within a decade, said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. Henry Ford, auto industry, made him a billionaire. Billionaire with a B said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. (laughs) Why? Because the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Now, the problem is, I don't believe this. (laughs) And here's the problem. You don't believe it either. (laughs) We all think that a little more money would make us a little more happy. Okay, that, that, you know, and this is why I prayed at the start of the sermon. Lord, Lord, your word tells us that life is beautiful if we follow you. The problem is we just don't believe it. We all think, no, a little more money would make us a little happier. But the Bible says that's not where freedom is found. I could list example after example after example of this. Let me give you three of them quickly. First of all, the Bible tells us that, that money can make you dissatisfied. Money can make you dissatisfied. Ecclesiastes 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. Why? Because how much money do you need? Just a little bit more. doesn't matter how much you have. You need just a, a little bit more. So if that's where your joy is, you'll always be dissatisfied. Money can lead after dissatisfaction to, to neglect. Proverbs 15, verse 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Oh, what a verse for D.C., You can go out chasing wealth, and in the process, you'll bring trouble upon your own home. And and how many many fathers is that true of in our time? Who are out doing work, chasing the dollar, building that kingdom, building that empire, while wives and children are are neglected back at home. And how true of that is of of, of how many mothers in in our area as well? Of families that aren't getting quality time, aren't getting any quantity of time, because we're out chasing money. It leads to neglect. Thirdly, after dissatisfaction or neglect, money can make you worry. Ecclesiastes 5 again. 
The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So you'd think, well, no, if I had a bit more money and a bit more security, then I'd worry less. The Bible says, no, that's, that's not how it works. In fact, your very abundance will be the thing that stops you from sleeping because the more you have, the more you have to worry about. So friends who acknowledge that we don't really believe this, um, test yourselves, test myself. Are you caught up in this game? Are you caught up in this game that, that happiness, freedom is found in a little more money or in a little more of what money can bring you? You know, that next home, that next car, the right vacation, the right school. Get all of those things, and I promise you, it will not make you happy. And generosity is the antidote that frees us from this cage. See, we're, we're trapped in, the, in this cage, working, 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 to get more and more and more, and Jesus knows that that will never end in life. And so he comes along with the key that says, this, this, this key, this key of generosity will unlock the cage and enable you to walk in freedom. Friends, let's self-consciously opt out of the world's game. Let's remind ourselves, we are the richest people in the history of the world. We don't need more. <laughs> let's opt out of this rat race. Let's put money in its proper perspective. And then let's self-consciously pursue more meaningful lives. Let's prioritize and pursue those things we really want our lives to be about. Let's prioritize and pursue those things that matter most. Let's prioritize and pursue the freedom found in Christ. Friends, I have never met anyone. Tell me, have you ever met anyone who regretted being generous? I've never met anyone who regretted being generous. Why? Because when you're generous, you find out that it brings first freedom here on earth. Jesus will reward your generosity by giving you freedom here on earth. Second uh, motivation, second reward that we're given in this text is to see that, yes, Jesus rewards generosity with freedom on earth, but secondly, Jesus also rewards generosity with treasure in heaven. Freedom on earth, but treasure in heaven. Look at verse 19 again as we move into verse 20. 19, we're told, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, why? Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So don't spend much time thinking about how you can accumulate earthly wealth. Instead, spend more time thinking about how you can accumulate treasure, uh, heavenly wealth. Why? Um, Jesus here is actually appealing to our logic. The long-term return on earthly treasure is incredibly poor. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men who ever lived. After he died, someone said to his accountant, oh, how much money did John D. leave? His accountant replied, all of it. All of it. The long-term return on earthly treasure is very poor, but the long-term return on generosity accrues into eternity. A few chapters later, Matthew 19, 29, Jesus is going to say that you will receive a hundredfold of anything that you give up in this life. In heaven, you'll receive a hundred times that 
then there be some good returns. A hundred times whatever you give up in this life. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying generosity is the best investment strategy. You should have a 60 billion year financial plan. Now, of course, look, I'm not saying it's you know, sinful to you know, plan for a future or sinful to think about retirement. Those things are good and necessary. I'm just saying, don't think that the planning ends with your death. The planning takes eternity into view. This is why Augustine said, oh, this is so good. Augustine said that the bellies of the poor are a better investment than the stock market. Isn't that good? Now, I've updated that. There wasn't a stock market when, when Augustine said that, but roll with me, right? <laughs> the, the, the bellies of the poor are a better investment than the stock market. Why? Because what's given up here is gains returns into all of eternity. If we put our money in stocks, there may or may not be some earthly gain. If we put our money in the bellies of the poor, we will see eternal gains. One writer says, one of our central spiritual decisions is determining how much we need to live on so we can invest as much as possible in sources that yield an eternal return. Friends, we need the Spirit to give us faith that we will believe, that we will believe that it is right and worthy and freeing and joyful for us to give now in order to to gain returns in heaven. Do do you believe heaven is coming? Do Do you know, you know another trumpet is coming? 1 Thessalonians. 4 verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. I want to make financial decisions that make sense in light of that trumpet. I don't want to be making decisions that are just for for short-term gain, to get the approval of the trumpet here on earth. I want to believe. Do you believe in eternity? Do you believe heaven is coming? Do you believe it is right and wise and joyful and freeing to invest there? I want to make financial decisions, personally and as a church, that make sense in light of that trumpet. So, friends, for me, for you, let's give to this church. Let's fill the bellies of the poor at the Lamb Center in Fairfax and in the slums of Kibera and live for the trumpet of God. And let's give to this church so that we'll respond to the cries of the unborn in downtown D.C. and in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and live for the trumpet of God. And let's let's give to this church so that we are providing for orphans here in Northern Virginia through Project Belong, uh, over in Romania through Romanian Christian Enterprises, and live for the trumpet of God. And let's give to this church so that we'll reach our neighbors who don't know him here in our own community or even to the ends of the earth. Live for the trumpet of God. You're not crazy for being generous. You're not crazy for giving to this church. Jesus calls us to be secretly generous. And when we are, he rewards us with freedom on earth and with treasures in the world to come. Um, Let's pray for faith to actually believe all of that. Let's pray.
Father, that's what we pray for. Give us faith to believe, faith to see beyond what we see now, faith to um, see to, to that, that promised land that it's called promised because it is sure and it is certain that we will make it there by your grace toward us and help us to live in light of it. Help us to live, Lord, not to the acclaim of trumpets here on earth, but in a way that will make sense when we hear the trumpet call of God. We pray, Lord, for faith to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.